Today we continue in our series, He Said, She Said, and if you try and say that real fast, it's sort of like a tongue twister. I didn't realize that until I was <laughs> thinking about today, and I said that, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's about men and women in the Bible that were used by God in powerful ways. Uh, some are more well-known than others that we're going to be looking at during this series. Today we're looking at Deborah. Deborah's in the Old Testament. It will be in the book of Judges in chapter 4. But one of the things that we're going to talk about today as we look at her is leadership. So when I talk about someone in leadership, this is a group question for everybody here now. Uh, what qualities do you think of when I say, talk about leadership? Trustworthy. Trustworthy. Integrity. Integrity. Responsible. Responsible. Servanthood. Good reputation. Yes, we hope so. Um, obviously, we know some leaders in the world don't fall into all those categories, but <laughs> anyway, uh, that's what you want to see. You want to see someone that's courageous, that's bold, that is a person of vision, that uh, gets things done, that even uh, self-sacrificing and inspires you if you're following that leader and challenges you to, to take the next step in your life, too. There's a woman who was a tribal chief of the Cherokee Nation named Wilma Mankiller, kind of an interesting name. Uh, she lived from 1945 to 2010. She said the most fulfilled people are those who get up every morning and stand for something greater than themselves. And living our lives for Jesus Christ is that kind of life. Living for more than just ourselves, a purpose far greater. And true leaders have that vision. That was how Deborah was. Today we'll see how she was a leader for Israel and what characteristics she had and what we can learn from her. So if you would turn to Judges 4 in your Bible, starting at verse 1. Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Herosheth, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I'll go. But if you won't, don't go with me, I won't go. Well, certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali and 10,000 men and went up. They went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree 
and Za'ananim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Herosheth Hagayim to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. So let's stop in the account right there and talk about this a little bit. So just to put the book of Judges in perspective, uh, there's this time between when the children of Israel, the people of Israel, entered the promised land until the time of the first king, like Saul and then David. So in that stretch of time is about three to 400 years. And during this time, they're under the um, guidance of God through the prophets and through uh, the judges. And the judges in the book here of Judges, uh, it, it seems like every time these people of Israel start living and doing evil, worshiping idols, they're, not, they're doing practices that God had asked them not to do, that then God uh, allows them to be captured or controlled by an uh, opposing uh, nation of some sort. The army comes and is just all over in the place and oppressing the people, and then they cry out to God. So they're not living for God, they get in trouble, and they cry out to God. And God then, out of his grace and mercy, sends a judge to help them be delivered from their enemies and to show them the way back to God. In Judges 2, 16 to 18, it talks about this. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's command. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as that judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. So we saw at the beginning of this chapter that the judge before Deborah named Ehud had died and then this started all this downslide again into some sinful behavior. Uh, several judges have gone before him even. It's, it's many years into this time of judges, into that three to 400 years. And so Deborah is a judge, and it also tells us that she's a prophetess. She teaches and preaches the word of God. She holds court like a counselor. She issue, issues judgments. It tells us she settles the disputes that the people had. And she sits under a palm tree, which is kind of like sitting at the city gates later we read about, uh, she sits there and she rules on behalf of the people. And apparently she's quite well known because it's more than just her little area. People are coming from all over. Uh, she doesn't lead by might, but rather she leads by wisdom and character. She was divinely appointed by God for that time. And Deborah stands alone as the only judge in the whole book of Judges who doesn't have the honor or distinction of being the solo star in her story. Uh, other judges are the ruler, the rescuer, and the eliminator of the enemy. They, they cover all three, but with Deborah, she's the ruler. As we read, Barak 
is the rescuer and later we'll read about Jael in the story and she's the eliminator. And so she shares her story with these other two people in the people of Israel being delivered from their enemy. So it tells us in, in verse 1 and 2 that Israel did evil, so the Lord sold them into the hands of the king of Canaan. Now that's kind of an interesting phrase that he sold them. And that's one way you can interpret that word, that's a Hebrew word, you can translate it that way. But when you look at it, it actually can also mean to deliver entirely into their power. So what God is doing is he's delivering the people of Israel into the power of the enemy. So part of the oppression that they're feeling from this Canaanite king is his commander of his army, Sisera. And it tells us that Sisera has this fleet of 900 chariots which were fitted with iron. And the army is you know, riding all around in Israel and they're oppressing the people. They're doing what they want to do to overwhelm them. And uh, the chariots, see this is at the start of the Iron Age. So they have a distinct advantage here in Canaan because these chariots being fitted with iron make them like they're the big cutting edge technology of the day. You know, it's, it's this big fighting machine that other people don't have. Israel didn't have that. And so this army is invincible, or so it seems. It seems like the army of Israel, who were foot soldiers, could just not take on this army in these iron-fitted chariots. So a powerful army running around all of Israel and oppressing the people. It tells us that Deborah was leading Israel at that time. And so when this story takes, a, uh, takes place, she's already been doing this for some time. Uh, she has a reputation as being a righteous judge and a prophetess, someone who hears from God. She was married to a man named Lapidoth, who that's the only thing we know about him, and she was raised up by God at this time to be the leader of Israel. So as we look at her, she's this righteous leader at this time when other people need to have that influence, need to have that leadership in the country. What can we learn from her as we look at leadership? How do we become righteous leaders in our jobs, in our families, where we live? How do we, in the things that God brings to us to do, how do we become righteous leaders? The first thing we see from Deborah is we need to rely on God's guidance. It tells us that Deborah held court under this palm tree. I mean, it wasn't a very, you know, official place, just kind of out there under a palm tree. And uh, she would sit there um, between Ramah and Bethel and Ephraim under this palm tree, and she became so well known for her righteous judgment and hearing from God that they named that palm tree after her, the Palm of Deborah. So, I mean, um, I guess we could all aspire to that, to have the oak tree of whoever, right? <laughs> because she had such a great reputation of being somebody who followed God. She'd sit and hold court, she'd settle disputes, and she was a seer prophet. She was the agent through whom the people would expect to hear a divine word from God. And God spoke to her and gave her guidance about the way the people of Israel were living and about what God wanted to do. So she sent for Barak and gave him the word of the Lord. And we aren't told exactly how she knew him. We aren't told uh, you know, how God prompted her to send for him, but she knew that God was wanting her to do that and she called for him. 
Now let's see this map. I just want you to understand um, where these places are. Okay, so where she is is right here in Bethel, in Ephraim, okay? Then look all the way up to the top of the map where it says Naphtali, and see right under that it says Kadesh. That's where Barak is. So that's, that's quite a distance that he is away, and uh, thank you, and she calls him to come, and he comes. So he must have known about her as well. So the two of them come together, and she talks to him and tells him that God is commanding him to take 10,000 men from Zebulun and Naphtali and bring them to Mount Tabor. And she tells him that the Canaanite army will be given into his hands, and Sisera will uh, be turned over to the army of Israel. It was a sure thing according to what she's saying because she's saying God has said that this will happen and it will. But Barak gets a little scared and he says, Deborah, if you go, I'll go. But if you don't go, I'm not going. So he's a little bit frightened about it because think of it, foot soldiers, mighty army with the latest technology. He's, he's looking at the natural stuff and thinking, I'm not sure. I think I want you, woman of God, to come along with me because I want to make sure that I know what God's telling me to do on this. And if you're not going, I'm not sure I'm going to go. So what would you do if someone told you about the plans God had for you? And part of it seemed a little dangerous. Group question, what would you do? I'd ask the Lord to confirm it. Ask the Lord to confirm it. Would you go? Okay, do you think about it now. You don't have to answer in, out loud, but just think. Wouldn't it be hard to say yes? Sure, just go. Yeah, because it's dangerous, right? And so it gets hard to say yes, but sometimes God says, take that risk, and I'm part of what's going to happen. You can trust me. Well, Barak was obviously younger in his faith, and he didn't know if he could just take that word and go. So he said, you know, I'm just, not, I'm just not willing to go if you don't come. He put conditions on the obedience. And if we want God to use us to become who we were meant to be, we need to go for it. We need to follow what he's calling us to, even if it seems a little dangerous maybe. But if we know for sure that God's calling us, we need to be obedient and not use conditions and just go for it like what Deborah did. So we... To be the righteous leaders God's calling us to be, we need to rely on God's guidance. And secondly, we need to be willing to help others learn how to follow God. So another group question for you here. How do you do that? How do you help others learn how to follow God? Set an example. Encourage them, yeah. How do you help others learn to follow God? Pray for them. Be out among them. Be out among them. Yeah. To help others learn how to follow God, we need to be actively involved. Uh, maybe there's somebody that God is putting on your heart that you need to speak into their life and help them understand. I mean, parents, it's easy. Children, yeah. But there's probably other people, too, that maybe someone who works with us, maybe somebody who lives by us. And we can help them understand what it means to follow God and help, like you said, to encourage them and, and be with them and help them learn what it means. Deborah said, okay, I'll go with you. She understood that God was going to use her in Barak's life. Um, she said, I'm willing to go with you. But then she told him what God had put on her heart. 
But you need to know, someone else will get the honor for this, not you. General Cicero will be delivered into the hands of a woman. Now this wasn't a diss on him. This wasn't to say, you know, hey, it's going to be a woman, you know. No, what she's trying to say, by God doing that, it's not going to be the army. It's not going to be one of your troops. It's not going to be a fighting man. What God is going to do is use somebody so, so much that you wouldn't expect. What that's going to do is encourage you in your faith. God's going to get the praise for the victory and then Barak will see that he can trust God for future battles. So apparently, that didn't matter to Barak that he heard someone else was going to get the glory. He still wanted Deborah to come. So Deborah comes, kind of like using training wheels on a bike, right? When you first start following God and doing some things that are kind of some big things, it's kind of nice to have somebody else there encouraging you. So she comes along. He goes with Deborah to Zebulun and Naphtali. That was at the top of the map. Remember, remember up there where Naphtali was? Zebulun was up near there too. And up there, they, yeah, see the blue is Zebulun and then Naphtali? Thank you. And he goes there and he pitches this deal and 10,000 people come with him. That alone should show you that God is in it because that meant that there were 10,000 people that heard that and believed the vision to follow God and do what God had called him to do. So they go to Mark Tabor, and apparently they're waiting there. And then we have a little aside to help explain part later in this account, where we hear about Heber, a man and his family that were Kenites, descendants of Hobab, who I had never really heard of before, who is Moses' brother-in-law. So way back in the family tree, they're related to Moses, so they're kind of related to the Israelites, kind of related to the Midianites. And this man and his family, Heber's wife is Jael, and they live near Kadesh. They live in their own little area. It says that they didn't live real close to the other Canaanites. They moved kind of away. They have their own little family compound there. And then it tells us that somebody tells Sisera, about this army of 10,000 Israelites up there near Mount Tabor. And he decides, well, I got to go take care of that. So he had a pretty large and powerful army. Had Barak only taken a few people with him, like remember Gideon, the story of Gideon? Um, he takes 300 people, so God gets all the glory. But this time, if he had only taken a few people, I don't think that Sisera would have sent the whole army up there. It would have been a smaller group just to quell that little problem. But the fact that there's 10,000 men there at Mount Tabor, he sends his entire army and all his chariots, and they all go charging over there to try and win that battle. He, he thinks, you know what, I'm pretty impressive. I can probably take care of this problem and teach these guys a lesson to not do this again. And so he goes to take them all out. And soon they arrive at the spot. And in verse 14, Deborah says to Barak, okay, go. And when you look at that Hebrew word go, for go, it means to stand up. It's like she's telling him, okay, stand up, go, it's time, go after them. And this is the day, she tells him, that the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? 
She says it like it's already accomplished. And up to this point, he can't see that. But she says, God has gone ahead of you. He's already accomplished it. It's already done. The things in your life that are battles that you face and the things that God says to you that he will do, uh, those are like already accomplished in God's scheme. Uh, When he speaks to us, we don't need to wonder if he'll do it. In his timing, it's already done. Uh, If you're waiting for things, waiting for victory in different areas, you need to see um, something happen. And Jesus has said, you know what? I got this. You just have felt like God has spoken to you through his word. And in your spirit, you just sense that God has said about this. You know, that's in God's plan. It's already done. Because he is outside of time. He is not bound by time like we are at the moment. And so when he says a thing is done, it's done. That's why in Philippians 4, 6, when it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Because we can thank him for the answer even before we see it because we know God is answering that prayer. Because in God, who is outside of time, not bound by time, it's done. So when we pray and ask God to answer our prayer, that answer, whatever it is, from God is already done. So we can thank him for the answer. We can say, Lord, thank you for what you're going to do in this person's life. Thank you for what you're going to do for me. We can thank him for the victory, for the healing, for the new job, because God, who isn't bound by time, has already done it. We just need to wait to see that manifestation of his word, of his power and his victory. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And why can we be strong and take heart? Because we know we're not waiting for nothing. We're waiting for when God reveals that and manifests that for us. So whatever you're waiting on, whatever promise God has given you, it doesn't always resolve right away, does it? And it doesn't always happen immediately. A lot of times we think it'd be great if it did. But most times we need to be waiting for God's timing, waiting for his fulfillment. We wait on the Lord. We trust him. We're strong in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have the courage to wait for God. So Barak, he's been told, go. He gets up. He goes down the uh, the mountain with his army following him of 10,000 men. And it tells us that the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots in the army. And in the Hebrew, that routed means the Lord brought them into confusion before Barak. And the Israelites just advanced and took out the Canaanite army. It's kind of similar to when God sent David later and the Israelite army out to fight the Philistines. In 2 Samuel 5, 22 to 25, So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. Same kind of deal here. It tells us that Barak pursued the army of Sisera and that God went before him and all those troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left, just Sisera, who jumped out of his chariot and fled on foot. 
And how this, did this happen, that this army could overcome this other army? Well, God had some things that he did to make it very easy for them. Judges 5, 4 to 5, this is Deborah. After the whole battle's over, she and Barak sing a song of praise to God. And part of it is this. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, you marched from the land of Edom. The earth shook, the heavens poured, and the clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. So God had promised he would give Sisera and his army into their hands, and this is what he did. He used, partially used an earthquake and a rainstorm that would bog down all that mud, you know, that would bog those chariots down. And so he helped Israel be able to accomplish his will to get rid of them. Both times for Barak and for David, God asked the people, though, to move first. They first had to step out to continue to obey God before they ever saw the victory. And then he gave the supernatural events, the supernatural things, and uh, won the battle. That's like us too. We need to uh, you know, decide that we're going to just follow God. And when he says go, we're going to go. And rise above any fear of failure and do what we are called to do. Be obedient to him. Well, let's read the next part of the story in Judges 4, starting at verse 16. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harosheth Hegayim, and all Cicero's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. So Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone's comes by and asks you, is anyone in there? Say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Just then Barak came, in, came by in pursuit of Sisera and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. So this is the other part of being a leader, not only relying on God's guidance and helping others learn to follow Jesus Christ, but third, to work through others to accomplish the vision or allow others to be used to accomplish the vision. Deborah didn't do all the work here. She gave opportunities to others to accomplish the vision that she had been given from God of overcoming the Canaanites. Sisera saw that his army had been routed. He saw that everyone was dead. He saw he was left alone. So he jumps out of his chariot and flees on foot to the tents of Heber and his family who aren't far from where this battle's going on. And apparently Heber was out and not home because Jael is the one who comes out and talks to him. She invites him into her tent. And obviously God is inspiring Jael at this point to do what she did, because in what she's doing here, she's violating so many of these social rules. 
First of all, it was a social rule that you didn't, the wife never invited another man into her tent, and yet she's doing this. Um, also, she should have known that what she did violated the treaty that there was, as it tells us here, there's a treaty between these two. The, the king, Jabin, of the Canaanites and Heber's family. So what she's doing goes against both, and also she violated the fundamental rights. In the Middle East, they have this thing about guests speaking hospitality and protection. Jael obviously put those below responding to what God was showing her to do. God apparently led her to do what she went to do and kill Sisera. So what we can learn from this is we don't want to let traditions keep us from obeying God and following him. And she didn't. She was one, not one of the troops. She wasn't a fighter. She didn't have a sword, but she used what God had given her, a tent peg and a hammer. So as part of this traveling group, uh, they, they lived in tents. They, they would move around occasionally. She was used to hammering tent pegs into the ground, so she hammered the tent peg to kill the enemy. And then it tells us that Barak comes on the trail of Sisera. Jael comes out to meet him and shows him the enemy's dead. And on that day, it tells us that God subdued the king of Canaan. What was so cool about this whole thing was that it, we read that Barak apparently saw the faithfulness of God in accomplishing his word. And he had courage to continue to lead the army of Israel. God increased their strength, it tells us, and they pressed harder and harder until they had totally destroyed the king of Canaan. And then at the end of chapter 5, it tells us in 531, the land had peace for 40 years. So God used Deborah and Barak and Jael to accomplish his will at this time. He raised up Deborah to be this righteous judge, this righteous leader in Israel. And because of her, the land had peace for 40 years. So group question again, are you a leader? How many of you would say, yeah, I'm a leader? That's right. All of us, in one way or another, can be used by God in different situations as a leader. When we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're a leader in our workplace. When we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're a leader in our neighborhoods, with our friends. They look to us to see how are we living our life for Jesus Christ. We all have areas that people are looking to us to see how we respond, how we act when things happen in our life. How do we handle it? That's what makes us leaders. We need to have faith to follow God and not put conditions on it, but to live out our calling. We need to rely on God's guidance, to be willing to help others follow, and to work through others to accomplish the vision. So it's not all about just one person, right? It's about all of us. So as a body of Christ, we can work together to accomplish God's will. Would you stand with me, please? So Deborah was used by God to help Barak grow in his faith, to help Barak accomplish what God had called him to do. And I just ask you to bow your heads and just think, is there someone in your life that God has put there that needs encouragement from you on how to follow God? And are you willing to 
obey and help them learn what that means to follow Jesus Christ. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone you work with or a neighbor. And so here's the thing. Let's not give God any conditions. Not say, not say you know what, God, I'll do that if. Or I'll do that when. But be willing to do right now what God has put before you to do. So if you know that God has put someone in your life that you're called to encourage and help them spiritually, and you're willing to do what Jesus shows you to do, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. Thank you. Maybe there's a big task that God's called you to, and, and it looks a little intimidating, a little overwhelming, and you're kind of like Barack. You're not sure you want to do it. But you know you're called to do it. And today you're going to make that decision to follow what God's calling you to. Just raise your hand. Thank you. So now let's, let's just do something here. Just take it and think of that task or that person holding it in your hands and just hold it up before God and say, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. Thank you, Lord, as we hold up our hands before you and we've got that task, that person in mind that we're saying yes to you, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would give us what we need to accomplish that. Lord, that you would give us assurance, that you would give us your strength, your power, your ability. Help us, Lord, to be like Deborah, to be righteous and to rely on your guidance to be willing to speak into other people's lives, to be willing to follow what you've called us to do, and to be willing to work with other people to accomplish that vision that you have. Lord God, I thank you that you've called each of us to something. And Lord, I pray that you just confirm that within our spirits, confirm that within our hearts, Lord God, as we follow you. We just thank you, Lord God, that we get to follow you that we get to be called by you to do these things. Help us not to have a fear of it, but to look at it joyfully as an opportunity to do what you've called us to do. We just thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.